Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, hello, everybody. I hope you all had a great day, morning, evening, wherever you are. Today, I'm sitting down with CEO of Gay Times, Tag Warner, and you all are in for a treat. We talk about all things media, publishing, and how to not just do LGBTQ plus content in June, because that's not cool. So if you're ready for all this and more, grab a snack, grab a seat wherever you are, and let's get into this cool conversation. Tag, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So before we get into what you do and like what every, everything that's going on, we always ask our guests, what does the term young influential mean to you? Oh, wow. Young influential. I mean, it's quite an like aspirational, exciting title to be named. I feel quite like humbled by the whole thing. Um, in some ways, I feel like all young people are influential in their own way. I feel like kind of a, a great deal of change comes from young people. Not all, but a lot of it. Um, so I feel like, I don't know, maybe maybe all young people are inf- influential in their own way. Um, but yeah, being being a young influential is a, is a nice place to be. And I'm happy to be called young. I don't feel young at the time. <laughs> so that's really old. So I'm happy to have that label on me. <laughs> I mean, we're as young as we feel, you know. No, you know, people think we're younger than we are. It's fine, you know. Yeah. We use our we use our night eye cream. We have our five step skincare routine. You know, we got to go along. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Always been into the skincare and like always got SPF on. So yeah, keeping us okay. I need to I need to do better about the SPF, but. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not, I was about to like promote my like skincare routine and be like, everybody, this is what I'm using. But I'll save that for another episode for everybody. But everybody, yeah, get a good skincare routine. Use your eye cream. Don't forget to moisturize the neck. Um, yeah, you need to do that. Moisturize your neck and your hands. Uh, I'm not <laughs> dead. Um. Okay, so can you explain to us what your current role is and like what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the chief executive of Gay Times and Gay Times is an LGBTQ media organization. Um, The title itself has been around for a really long time since the early 1980s. So it's the oldest LGBTQ plus title in Europe, um, even though the title has been in the US for some time as well. 
And our predecessor titles actually go all the way back to the 1970s. So technically this year, we are kind of quietly celebrating 50 years in publishing, LGBTQ publishing, because our predecessor titles go back all the way to 1972. Um, So there's a huge amount of heritage and legacy and history in the brand, which is really exciting. And I took over Gay Times and really felt like there was a huge opportunity to broaden it out to be a fully inclusive LGBTQ plus media company. Whereas in the past, it really focused primarily on the experiences of gay and bisexual men. Um, and so that's been my journey with the company for three and a half years now. And um, it's got to a really exciting place where we um, are kind of more or less the uh, the number one LGBTQ media brand in lots of different spaces. And we reach millions and millions of LGBT people around the world. So. It's got to an exciting place and I think um, it's been a great time to sort of reflect on how far we've come, but also where the next challenges are. So I'm excited for the future as well. It's kind of that just got started kind of feeling at the moment, which is nice. No, that's exciting. we got a big year ahead for you all. That's so cool. But rewinding a little bit, like how did you get in? Where did your love of magazines come from? Was it like at a young age? Did you study journalism in school? Like how did your love for the publishing world like come into play? Well, I was definitely, I would say I was the wild card choice for this job because I had zero, but not quite zero, but pretty much zero media experience. And I am not a trained journalist. However, I think that stood me in a really good stead. I think that was a positive. So my relationship with media though has been for as long as I can remember. I remember my older brother, kind of in the UK would say taking the piss. <laughs> it's not an Americanized term, but to sort of, you know, tease in a nice enough way about the fact that I used to fast forward the main content and watch the commercials. How sad is that? So I would watch television and like purposely watch the commercials. And so I've always had this like weird love and interest in media and marketing and advertising and how that all came together. And I think it's also, and I was also really interested in the content as well, but I'd also watched 24 hour news, you know, like cable news. As like oh, wow. Okay. And that's pretty odd, I think for like six and seven year olds, I guess, to watch cable <laughs> news. But I was fascinated by how the medium of communication all came together. And then that translated into newspapers, first of all. So I remember sitting down and reading literally back to front the newspapers that would come out in the UK. Um, And then that translated into magazines. And I remember buying my first issue of Gay Times probably at the age of 14 or 15 years old. And I think it's a similar story for lots of people uh, around my age where you would go into a uh, a store and buy it in a sort of like shameful way and you'd have a lot of like weird anxiety about it and you'd quickly take it to the register and scan it right and then take it home or take it to the park and I remember doing that with Gay Times and I was just fascinated by how these organizations existed that were there to sort of reflect people and things that I didn't yet understand or I wasn't yet exposed to because I didn't have a huge amount of exposure as uh, an LGBTQ thing. So I guess broadly speaking, I've always been really fascinated by media and advertising and, and all of those things kind of combined, like communications. 
um, and I've always been a bit geeky about it. Um, my actual <laughs> kind of um, formalized training, if you like, in career was a management consultancy. So I really was quite, I was that corporate gay. I went into that. <laughs> oh, and so, and I, I learned a huge amount, but it didn't give me a huge amount of purpose and value. And so I left, I left the gay, gay world, I left the corporate world. <laughs> Lived my life fully <laughs> as a queer person, and then I found my way. And that's another story. I found my way to sort of gay times, but as I said I was definitely the wildcard option because I didn't have any uh, journalism experience. And I actually think that, uh, as I mentioned, I think that was a good thing. That's what I think the company needed. And I speak a lot with my friends who run or are like you know uh, leaders or CEOs in other media companies. And that often is a tension that they've struggled with between sort of like um, the formalized media world, if you like, and journalism and the sort of business side of it. And that tension's important, but it's always there. And so I think I sort of brought some of that tension to gay times that it actually needed. It needed some of that tension. No, that's so cool. And it's so funny you brought up the whole, uh, <laughs> when you were like, oh, grabbing the issue and like running. I used to do that with so many words. Like <laughs> you would get the magazine. I don't know if I remember it, but like a lot of times, like when you would subscribe, they'd have that like white paper over it yes. where they would like hide it. <laughs> and I'd be like, what did you at the time, I'd be, what, what I, would, I, um, I would read out magazine was like yeah. my like go to because um, around uh like around like high school college i started like getting into like more of the editorial realm and so when i was like oh like we have our own magazines and our own publications and stuff i started reading it more and then i was like okay let me actually like subscribe and not just like take the issues and like not actually pay for it and so i would get it so when i started subscribing remember it coming in the mail and have like a little like white cover over it and i'd be like why is this like it's there's nobody on the cover but like Beyonce or whatever, like this is so weird. <laughs> I'm like, why? And but yeah, and then before that, I was just um, I got obsessed with the editorial around like 2002 when I started reading GQ magazine, mm. and I started reading that one, and I was just obsessed with like like you said like the advertising and like that realm, and just I I couldn't really relate to it because I was looking, I was like, this is not the. It was like a very I felt like typeface of just like what masculine what men's interests were and I felt like out and the other ones had like more of like the arts and other stuff I was looking at and then I started reading uh British GQ and I was like okay now we're cooking with butter like this is like they're given like full editorial like I loved the GQ style book that would come out like every Mm -hmm. season like the fall winter and I was like this this is what I want to do this is what I'm into and then I was like but how do I marry like like, where's the magazine that has, like, what Out has and what GQ has? And I feel like over time, like, a lot of the publications have all kind of, like, made it known that there is more than one type of, like, uh, male's interest. Like, you have men who like sports, who like plays, who like whatever. And you're really starting to kind of, we've seen over the last, like, 20 years, like, the evolution and every, kind of, like, everybody's publication, like, their content, like, edit, like editorial coverage kind of change where you have, don't feel like you have to be, read one or the other or like finding your space in the realm. Yeah, totally. And I remember that as well. I When I started at Gay Times, as often happens if you get a new leader in and you have that shake-up kind of moment, I remember kind of just going through as much detail as I could in the whole organisation. And one thing that I remember finding, which was quite interesting, is that we still, 
um, wrote in all of our like subscription copy and all of that sort of um, sales terminology delivered in um, discrete opaque packaging. <laughs> and I was like, is this relevant for today? You know, like we're in, I joined um, in 2018 was my transition period and kind of when I uh, met the company and I started my role right at the beginning of 2019. It's not that long ago. And and I remember thinking, like, is that relevant? And I'm sure it is for some of the audience. And it, it probably still continues to be for some of the audience. But for much of the audience, their identity was something that they were really proud of. So um, literally putting it behind something opaque was actually something that wasn't relevant to most of the audience. So it's interesting to see how much of that sort of like hangover was still there. But um, and you, you're absolutely right on the kind of transition. I think... Um, it's interesting to see a lot of media companies haven't gone through that. And in our own way at Gay Times, the transition that I think we needed to go through was in so many different spaces. It was a transition of how we were talking about ourselves, how we were talking about community, what we thought the community was interested in. I remember some, um, you know, previous staff at the company just deciding that LGBTQ people are not interested in politics, which isn't true. There are so many of us that are really interested and engaged in politics, but they had such a fixed view, I think, of what people were and what they weren't, and therefore what was being displayed to the rest of the world as LGBT people, specifically gay men at that point, only care about, you know, muscly guys and grooming. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Like that just is so far from the truth of what I know. And I think, so that, that was one thing. But then the other thing, of course, was broadening it out. So I think we had this very aggressive target to... Um, have a gender balanced audience within one year, which we managed to do, which I can't ever quite believe how we did it. But it was it was difficult because we started with a 90% plus male audience, male identifying audience. And I wanted to make sure that was actually balanced between um, people identify obviously as male, female, trans, non-binary, and make that happen really quickly. Um, so we saw that sort of uh, content evolution happen, I think, at Gay Times really quickly. Um, over those sort of over those sort of years, 2017, 18, 19, as I came in. And I feel like that's so true because I remember that like shift where a lot of the coverage of the publications, it would be like, like you said, like grooming and just like whatever, like it was very just targeted towards just like gay men and like we're now seeing publications like them and out and all the ones like yeah. kind of everybody's like expanding into, like you said, like political stuff, um, marriage, uh, family dynamics. And it's oh. like, just like, more of the aspect where it's like, hey, like we're not here just to entertain, but we're here also to like educate. And we're seeing that shift now where it's taking like more of an education, but like, hey, we're here as a pillar, as a, as a resource, not just a place that you can like be entertained and escape, but like we want to resource you as well about um, different things that are going on and like actual, like real talk. I feel like it, it's it's been really helpful to see them be like, gosh, like, if we had this change, like back when we were all coming through, like uh, imagine the difference. But Absolutely. I mean, I, we did get great tips on great skincare and hair care products <laughs> to you, you know? So, you know, <laughs> we got some good stuff out of there, but it would have been nice to have the talks about like politics or um, family dynamics or like a lot of the conversations and seeing more like trans representation, non-binary and like what different, what the rest of the community makes up versus just kind of like focusing on gay men. Like there's more to the community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you say, it's been amazing to see other uh, LGBT community brands, both 
push that and continue to develop in their own way as well. So yeah, it's been great. And we all know that like, Day Temps also has like different uh, in different countries and stuff. Like, do you guys feel like um, whenever you're like doing like uh, content for specific countries that you have to like kind of filter it or do you all try to still feature like politics and art, like kind of keep the same general verticals or do you feel like you have to like alter it in a certain way? Definitely. Like one of the kind of mantras I feel like I tried to bring into the organization was this whole thing about like the ivory tower of media. I felt like my experience of media was that it can be very elitist and it typically has favored people who are of default identities, who are cisgendered, white, upper middle class, you know, have come from money, let's say. And that's where media is often favored and, and excelled those people through the ranks. And I really felt this like huge sense of responsibility to try and challenge that in lots of different ways. So um, there's some great insights into um, quite high and diverse, you know, UK media is in, in particular. We try to do um, some way of kind of addressing that in uh, our internship schemes where we're actually paying and rewarding people proper salaries rather than relying on unpaid internships and et cetera, which again favors certain types of um, individuals. But then on the on the sort of like the broader sense, um, I think the other, I guess, responsibility um, that we felt as an organization was to ensure that we're not uh, taking other people's voices as our own. So uh, in 2019, I founded Amplifund within Gay Times, which is our philanthropic charity partnership. And essentially it funds LGBTQ plus activists and media organizations in different countries. So places uh, like Armenia, Iraq, Jamaica. And so instead of us, to your point about, you know, how do we uh, filter content or how do we talk in uh, different places? Instead of us trying to do that in London and New York, we're actually resourcing and funding LGBTQ people on the ground to tell the stories in their own voice. And I think that in engaging with those communities that always felt like the better and more um, successful way of, of um, carrying their voices and their, their politics and the things that they wanted to talk about to the surface, rather than us trying to do that for them. Um, and then inevitably filtering it through our own lens mm-hmm. as someone who lives in London thousands of miles away. So the way that I think I've tried to create Gay Times is future and how we kind of currently operate is more through those mechanics than just thinking about what's our personal perspective and point of view and how do we get that over. No, I think that's so key and I think that's so important to that you guys find ways to connect with the community because I feel like a lot of times like you'll we'll see organizations or media companies like say like, oh yeah, we're here and we love connecting with our audience like all over where they are, but they're not really like doing anything that Add, like really relates to where they're at, yeah. like that audience that, like, really like actually doing though like everyone uses the word exactly but i'm like how are you actually connecting like <laughs> those phrases like what are you actually doing and then when people are like uh, well we post on instagram i'm like okay there's got to be more like that's fine that's good but we gotta we gotta push harder than that yeah and i think i think it, yeah it's like if you really want to build a community and really like build that way where people feel like they're a part of it, that they're not just like receiving, but also like doing something with it. Like that's when you really see the change happen. So are there like, do you guys do like activations or like different events and stuff to like really 
make people feel like they're part of the gay times like family or like how do you guys do that absolutely and i feel like it's something that i'm really excited to do more of of course i kind of um in my uh, time here so far of course kind of came in and had like a year which is really no time at all and sometimes it feels like to get to grits of things and then covid hit so we managed to do our um, kind of re um, our relaunch of Gay Times Honours, which is our flagship event, which is a LGBTQ night of celebration, like entertainment community activism. It's really like this merging of different worlds. And that's why I think I love it so much and why it's so successful is that we're not just platforming, you know, celebrities, we're also platforming everyday activists at like a grassroots level and lifting them all up. And it's an awards-based show, like you would see on MTV or something, but of course through a completely queer lens. And again, like I think that my experience as somebody that was just in this community was that those spaces were really out of reach. You know, I would see um, different, um, often, you know, media organizations or, or, or networks, whatever it might be, um, uh, putting on these events and it would be impossible to get a ticket. Or if you could get a ticket, it would be black tie with a white tablecloth and the ticket price would be $5,000. And yes, of course, a lot of the time that was going to charity, et cetera, but still that's a huge amount of money and it therefore becomes inaccessible. So when we relaunched Gay Times in 2019, of course, 2020, we had to take a break and then 2021, we came back, which was great. And we're doing it again next year. It's coming up at the um, end of November in 2022. Um, it was really important to me that it would be free to attend. And so the uh, space itself is free to attend so that we can ensure that actually we're not creating these barriers to entry so that only certain people can come to the event because they have you know deep pockets and a, a big credit card. <laughs> um, and so it's free to attend if you're in the you know LGBTQ plus community and you want to if you want to come. Um, and we work with brands in order to make that happen by the brand obviously investing in that event and being able to, um, uh, you know, bring community members um, to that space through their own means rather than putting that on the community. So that real world experience is so, so important. And of course, we try and do that in lots of other ways as well. Like we've just had Pride um a couple of months ago here in the UK and the US, I managed to make it over to New York for New York Pride, which was great. And just seeing oh, like the, you know, relationship with the people and people come up to you and talk to you about what the organization means to them or how it's impacted them. That for me is like the best feedback you can ever get is real people on the street uh, and in, in events and, and that sort of thing. So um, I think that connection with the community is so, so important. Everyone can always do more and I'm excited for us to do more as we kind of go ahead. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I feel like you touched on such a good point. Cause I feel like so many media companies or like places will host these like summits and these big, large events. They're like, oh, we want to connect with everybody and everybody join in. And like you said, like the tickets will be five grand or you have to go through a million hoops where it's like, tag two friends, like follow, like we'll do a breakout. And I'm like, man, how are we, how is anybody going to get into that? That you're, that's actually your target audience. Only people that can be able to afford that are, are clearly the marketers and the big brands or the ones that will buy the tickets and like release them to maybe five, four people. But if you're really trying to reach your audience and really reach your people, like you have to open up the access way more than just, charging three four like who has three four five like yes we would all spend that on the beyonce renaissance tour whenever beyonce announced it but like <laughs> you'll find the money then definitely yeah like we will find them we will uh, find the money for beyonce but like for other things like this like we need you to make it easier to access especially for when you're especially working with like younger audiences like gen z or like early career people they don't have that extra three four what it, they do for beyonce and certain other but like <laughs> They generally don't have that. So whenever I hear companies like, oh, we want to target like the young people and really whatever in the te- or teenagers. And it's just like you're making them go through so many hoops and they don't have the access for it. So, yeah, you really think, think that whole strategy. Yeah, of course. And like, I think I think there's like if I think about the big existential things that keep me up at night, accessibility is one of them. Like if I think about the the big, big, you know, big meta problems you like of, of like where we are in places like culture and society. And I do think that what I like about the younger generation kind of coming through, especially with an LGBTQ, is um, they just won't take any shit. <laughs> they will, they really, they really they will don't. call you out and they will be vocal. And even I, I'm 28 now, and even I remember, you know, like, kind of getting that lesson when I was younger about like, you know, don't raise your voice, don't say anything too out of line. And that for me, I think it's been one of the biggest dynamic shifts if we think about like cultural changes in the last sort of 10 years. But ultimately it has to be a good thing because it holds people to account and it makes people like me and the people I work with and other people in these positions consider and stop and think and reflect. So if we think about things like gay times honors, that's what I'm thinking about all the time. It's like, yes, it's great that we were able to open up to the general public for free and not charge them for tickets and just do a donation to charity if they can. However, what other accessibility um, perspectives should we be shining on this? Like how else can we be inclusive? Um, And I enjoy seeing people take that challenge on and be excited by that challenge and not feel defensive and threatened by it and then try and push against it so it's exciting to see that kind of like friction again in the world <laughs> and i think it with covid right it only got more so like mm-hmm. COVID really sped a lot of things up the pandemic had that effect so i'm excited to see yeah that sort of impact continue to um happen in our culture and hopefully gay times can be one of the organizations kind of at the forefront of responding to that and being proactive about that in, in the right way and I feel like you t- you just touched on a really good point that like 
the younger generation, like the younger generation, like Gen Z and stuff, like they will call you and they will see. And I feel like that's why it's so important that whenever brands are like trying to take a stand or like really translate their authenticity, like through their social media, through their platforms and stuff that they're doing their homework and doing their research on it or in like putting their money where their mouth is. So like, don't just be like, don't just tweet up like, Oh, we feel so bad that that happened. Thoughts and prayers. It's like, they want to see like, is your, are you guys donating to whatever they want to know? Like, if I support you, what are you doing? And if I'm supporting you, like, on your social media or on your videos or on your stuff, like you show people that represent me also and like other, other things. And I think that's also really important that a lot of not just media companies that people are trying to realize it's like, okay, on our social media too, like we can't just be silent on things and we have to really showcase like who works here, who does this, who does that. And like really give people an inside look on what all we do versus just like, posting like oh hey read this article like people want they want to see hmm. like who works there they want to see like who's representing the people behind like their favorite columns or articles or stories and stuff so do you guys do anything special on the like whether it's instagram facebook on your social to really give people a, a deeper dive look into like gay times and like look inside of the company beyond just here's the latest article <laughs> We've, we've toyed so many times about doing like a behind the scenes documentary. <laughs> what I love about those is that you get like to see the actual characters that work at companies like AJ. I generally, I don't know, I'm biased. I think it would be a really entertaining show. It might get a few people fired though, I don't know. But no, I think the point that you made, which I completely agree with and is so um, interesting that you kind of brought up is about how... Um, audiences and communities want to see a more like three-dimensional approach to all these sorts of things when it comes to inclusivity, diversity, marketing in those spaces. So like Gay Times through our agency GTX works with so many brands to activate in LGBTQ+, whether it's an advertising campaign that we, we create for them, whether it's a partnership that they see on Gay Times' channels, whether it's through one of our experiential moments. We work with some of them really one of the, some of the most amazing companies in the world. And we're really fortunate to be able to do that. And I think the thing that I remember speaking to a few um, colleagues at those organizations trying to help them understand this change that we've been through is that the world feels like it's become a lot more complex. And I always say it's actually always been, you know, very complex, but you've maybe just not been able to see that through your feedback loops. So if you do a campaign, um, let's say like an advertising campaign, and you 10, 15 years ago got some good press because you had a good PR team and they sold in some good press to the newspapers, you probably would have felt like you'd done a really good job. Whereas now you're going to get feedback on Twitter and you're going to get feedback <laughs> via the mail and, you know, through email and stuff. And if a few of those comments are negative, suddenly everyone gets really defensive about it quite often and says, oh, well, we were trying our best and you can never win when actually that's just the reality of it. It was probably likely that all of those campaigns 10, 15 years ago had people seeing them or experiencing them and not feeling particularly, you know, warm towards them, but you just didn't necessarily hear their voice. You didn't hear their feedback. So I think for us, it's been great to work with partners and these brands to try and help them understand that, to say, it's not like today, it's not realistic to, 
put something out in the world and have universal praise and universal love. <laughs> and if you're going to make a stance, right, I think most, most recently, I think people will appreciate that the discourse in the news media, especially some of um, the more conservative media about trans identities has been really, really uh, damaging and full of mistruths. And I think again, like when we've seen brands um, do LGBTQ campaigns, and then get worried about having backlash for featuring trans voices, I would say, well, you know, that's likely to happen now because people are out there being very anti-trans in their rhetoric. So you need to take a stand. Do you support this or do you not? You can't sort of sit on the fence anymore. So I think there's so many things that are happening at organisations, like you say, that where the audience and the communities that interact with organisations want to see a much more thoughtful approach to... Um, inclusion, diversity to their marketing, etc. And again, ultimately, I think that has to be and it is a very good thing, um, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. And so it's been great to work with organisations to kind of help them through that journey. Um, uh, I kind of know that you'll never be done. That's the other thing that I think sometimes people, it's a hard pill to swallow. It kind of is nice to do a project or a campaign and be like, we smashed it. Whereas nowadays, you can smash it and do a really good job, but there's always something you could have done slightly better. And, and the audience will not feel too bad about letting you know that as well. <laughs> and I feel like it's also key for a lot of, like you said, working on these campaigns for a lot of these brands to rails where it's like, okay, come July 1st, you don't just, white brands were like, okay, like we're done touching on like that group or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, no, we're here 24 7, 365. So please don't, and people will call you out on that too. Like people will be like, mm, we've noticed that you guys like quickly took off like um, the trans couple that you featured in your campaign off Instagram after a certain time. Like that was like a very one and done type thing. Like you guys are not going to bring up any like inclusion throughout the rest. And I feel like they're now getting a lot of companies are like now there's like, oh, we can include them year round. We don't have to do this just like in June or during LGBT history month, like we can do it like for our Christmas campaigns or for uh, our other holiday right. campaigns or whatever. And it's like, yes, yes, you can. Like don't just do it to check a box in that one month. <laughs> yeah. I always talk to like our partners as well. I'm like the holidays and, you know, whether you celebrate Christmas or not and around that time of year, um, is a great time to talk about LGBTQ themes because it's normally and can be quite a challenging time for the community. Like, it's a great opportunity to talk about difficult subjects. So you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I always kind of say, and we say that inclusion isn't a calendar moment. And when you say it sort of bluntly as that, people are like, oh, of course it isn't. And I'm like, well, well, there you go. If, you're, if your campaign is a calendar moment, then you're not really being thoughtful from an inclusionary perspective. It's okay to highlight, you know, and it's okay to have peaks. It's okay to have moments where you draw specific attention to something. We get that. You can't sort of have everything at full blast all the time. However, um, as you say, I think that kind of um, uh, approach to LGBTQ in particular, where um, people would show up just in June or or Pride Month, wherever you might be, and then disappear and the rainbows are all killed at the end of that month. <laughs> I feel like hopefully that era is more and more behind us. Um, and I think it's been interesting to see again how uh, the pandemic affected that because of course, when you didn't have the um, 
marches and or parades mm-hmm. in the big cities to see how people navigated that was i think quite interesting to see were they going to show up again or, or were they going to say oh there's no parades there's no point anymore which of course wasn't really the point in the, in the first place but um yeah i hope i hope that's sort of behind us that era we can keep encouraging people to move towards um understanding that the community is important all year round yeah i feel like one thing that i'm glad i'm hearing about is a lot of other like companies are now saying like, hey, we want to celebrate and highlight diversity and inclusion beyond like uh, the everybody's month that we want to fully put it into our program. And like, I love going on like different streaming platforms and stuff and seeing like the LGBTQ plus section or yeah. the like whatever section. And it's like uh, where they used to do it just like for everybody's month. And it's like, now you can go on and be like, oh, I want to watch a good documentary about like, uh, Larry Kramer or whatever, whatever. And you can quickly go into like the LGBT story section on like whomever and be like, oh, here's what I haven't seen or whatever. Versus like, I felt like back then it was like, okay, July 1st, don't yeah. know where that documentary was. I'm happy as well to, to sort of like, you know, uh, call it out when necessary. And obviously in in the right approach, like I, um, I've been flying a bit recently and I was on a airline and they had a, um, LGBTQ sort of section like you're talking about, right? On the like in flight entertainment on the back of the seat kind of thing. And it was like LGBTQ stories and it had all the movies and the TV shows. And so I happened to know that comms director. So I sent them an email saying, This is great. I hope it's not disappearing on the 30th of June. <laughs> and I don't know if that went anywhere because then I saw um I saw it was still there. And I think I was on that airline again maybe five days ago, and that's we're recording this in August, so there you go. It's just still there in August. And I did it I did it with a pretty big gym chain as well. I was like, I couldn't help but notice that your Pride-themed bands disappeared one day. <laughs> What's <Yeah>. that done? <laughs> and they're like, oh. But I do that too. Like, like, oh, oh my God. And they, yeah, exactly. So I set off an atomic bomb that. <laughs> Literally, like, I'll do that too. I'll be like, hey... Or I'll do like an Instagram DM or something. Be like, "Hey, um, notice you guys. You got any any updates on that? Planning something bigger? Or if I really like what they're doing, like sometimes I'll be walking around and I'll see a really cool like campaign or would it be like, mm-hmm. oh hey, and I'll take a picture of it and I'll like post it or I'll DM it to them. And be like, oh, love the work that you guys did on this. Uh, hope you all continue it because I felt like a lot of times like we love to get so quick to just cancel people and call them out yeah. when they're doing something wrong but like a lot of times we don't celebrate when they're doing something right Agreed. how like one day somebody was like oh i hate how this per- this uh streamer is like doing x y and z and i was like hey like yes but they're also doing all this other stuff that yeah. like we're only highlighting and focusing on that one thing that they did but they're doing a lot of great work behind the scenes and I've been talking to about them and I'm like working on this with them. So I think you also take a deep dive into that before we're so quick to just like cancel yeah. them over Most, this one thing. I totally agree. Like, of course, if there's something which is unacceptable, then you're going to take a different approach. However, if it's something which is generally quite good, I do think most people respond better to positive reinforcement and uplifting and empowerment. So saying well done, like I have this thing about specifically sending well done and thank you emails and messages to people in the same vein that you do, even companies that we don't necessarily work with to call out 
good work and, and kind of great effort where I feel like I see it just as a person existing in this world. It's so much more effective than going in on the negative all the time. So I think that's a really important point. And again, that's the message that I feel like um, we try and transpire to our brands. Like you say, it's so easy within like a campaign to see two or three comments and just focus in and zoom in on that and, and spend all the energy on that. But then they miss actually all of the good around it as well. So um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that point. And I think that hopefully we can get to that point as well, you know, as time moves on where we're able to be more able to celebrate each other and lift each other up as a community internally. And I think that's the journey that we're going on as well. Yeah, because it's like, okay, like, we don't need to always just be a plan. Like, somebody has to be doing something right one day. Like, it all can't, it all can't just be downhill every day. Like, <laughs> let's, come on out, people. <laughs> but um, segueing into, like, my next thing, like, do you feel like, um, back to, like, the whole, like, media landscape thing, do you feel like there's a way that we as, like, a media publication can uh, make it easier to, like, access, like, not just the events room, but like the internship mm. realm. Like, I feel like the internship apprentice room, like I'm thinking of just when I was coming in, I felt like it was like Hunger Games trying to get like mm. an internship or something within like the industry. And then when people would get it, I'd be like, how, how do you have, how did you get that? I'm like, we are 18, 19 years old. Like what? Or they would be asking like, we need five years of experience and mm. we need you to be able to like sew goat sweaters and be able to milk three camels a day. And I'm just like, how how do you expect people to learn and learn the ropes and stuff if you don't, like, if you're having those requirements where they even get in to like be taught these things? Like that was one thing I never understood. I feel like now we're seeing it, the a lot of, a lot of it like open up a little bit more where they're allowing more access for like students to be like either getting college credit or some type of like, or finally being paid for their internships and stuff and just like kind of opening up that access thing. So do you all like at Gay Times specifically offer like e like stuff like that where it's a little bit easier to get these types of internships and experiences? Definitely. Although, as I kind of always say, like I know that we can do so much more. And weirdly enough, I literally came from a meeting just this morning where we're kind of talking about this. I think we'd, we were speaking about how the landscape of work is changing really quickly and the way that we work with individuals and interact with people is changing. Um, and a lot of those um, expectations and constraints around work, like how many days a week we work, what kind of contractual relationships we have with people, how do we treat people as they show up? Do they have to be there in person? Like all of those things are being challenged at the moment. And again, rightfully so. And I'm excited by a lot of that challenge and that change. So I think to your point about how do we ensure that we're giving people an opportunity, I said like towards the beginning, one of the first things I did when I came was, was create an internship program that was, you know, fully paid and gave people opportunities to come into the media world who traditionally have found that more challenging and more difficult through the outreach that we've done. So that was one thing that we were able to do quite quickly and that's been a really successful scheme. I think the other thing that we're putting a lot of thought to is how do we get that knowledge and that kind of um, understanding that we have of the media world and give that out to the community and allow other people to interact with that in a more of an educational learning capacity because a lot of that knowledge, a lot, you know, much of the time in organizations is, is held up within the employees themselves and in the company. So how do we actually get 
the um, expertise of what we do out to a wider group of people. And that's something that I'm kind of taking on as a project at the moment with the team. Um, but then also to your point about accessibility and how do we think about how we work with people, I think we're just at that sort of point at the, at the moment where, again, it's very exciting how we're starting to rethink how about we um, incorporate new talent into the organisation and many organisations like us and how we can actually make them more accessible to people that don't live in big metropolitan areas and how does that bring more diversity and more perspectives to our company in a really positive way. Um, so, yeah, a lot of challenge in a great way and I'm excited to see how we kind of adapt and respond to that as... Um, as the sort of like next few months and year kind of goes on. Yeah, and I feel like that you that's really true. Like a lot of a lot of people are not next to like big metropolitan areas like a London or a New York or whatever. Yeah. They're in smaller cities and stuff. And so a lot of times like they're at a disadvantage because it's like I can't move to wherever for the summer and spend however many oh. pound or dollars yeah. on rent for a two, three month or a semester internship like. I need it to be on my terms. So a remote option or like people who offer like remote apprenticeship options or like internships that are able, where you're able to work anywhere. And I know like for me, I'm always on the go traveling. So I feel like that was one thing that I like about it, where it's like, we have the option now to come into the office. I come in for the free snacks and to make videos <laughs> and to like just talk to people and hang out. Like that's me. And then but there might be people who every now and again. <laughs> right? <laughs> But there might be people that are like, you know what, like, I want to come in just like once when they have a big company lunch or I have cats. I want to work with my cats. At home. Yeah. And like, that should be okay. You're right. And like, um, we have this kind of, I suppose it's another kind of mentor approach where I kind of speak with the team. And I'm like, anytime that you feel yourself constraining something, you have to challenge yourself and say, stop. So that's the, that's the best easy example, which is like, oh, this person's great, but they don't live in London. So I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. work your way back up the sentence to the but, think about the sort of like conditional parameter that you've just added and challenge yourself and whether or not that's okay. Because within the you know current world that we live in, the technology access that we have, the ability to communicate, is it a deal breaker really that that person like you said is not in like a major metropolitan urban area like London or New York when actually they could be adding a hell of a lot of exciting perspective and different perspective to us as an organization living and working somewhere completely different so um, if anything I think a lot of this stuff is a positive and a bonus but it's up to us as organizations to figure out how are we going to adapt not make the person adapt to us because like you say to expect someone to just uproot their life and move to london and find all of that money to afford an apartment and the rest of it mm -hmm. is not realistic for a lot of people so we need to change not them yeah it's like that graphic designer you love might be in eltham they might not be in like the london proper or they might be in connecticut somewhere like don't just be like oh i loved them but like whatever like i said like challenge yourself like okay, how can we make this work? Like, um, we have technology, like I said, we have Zoom, we have all these other things for you to do the work and all that. So I feel like that's so key important. And also, I feel like a lot of people want the flexibility to be like, you know what, I'm like, I love living in New York, but I would like to move me and my family to another place. And it's like, a lot of times, like in the past, they'd be like, oh, I have to leave my job now because I'm moving. And that's like, now companies are like, no, like, if you want to leave, like, 
you can still keep your job. Like, there's no need for that. And I feel like we've now seen that revolution also because there's some people who just, like, months out of the blue be like, you know what, like, I think I'll move my family to a more quieter spot or, you know what, like, this is the city's becoming too much for me. I want to, like, move out to the countryside, but I don't want to leave my career. So I think the more companies are offering that flexibility to give people the option in the room to decide where they want to be and not have their role place uh, based off of like where they're living currently is also as equally as important. Yeah, absolutely. And to wrap up like our last thing, what advice do you have for, I know we've already talked about it a little bit, but like what advice do you have for someone who's like saying like, you know what, I want to jump into the publishing realm and I want, or I want to start writing. I want to do this. Like, how do I get started? So like what advice do you have for somebody who's like, maybe might've missed a deadline for like a, for like an internship, sure. but still wants to get that experience or um, like into getting like the publishing stuff under their belt. I think one of the most sort of like um, exciting things about how um, the world's changed and of course different platforms have come up is that pretty much everybody can self publish or self create in some way. So I think it's always really exciting when uh, people approach us as an organization, uh, it was me as an individual, and say, hey, this is something I've been working on. You know, what do you think of it? Or I've been doing this. And I think that is progressively becoming another way to find your entry point into different organizations is to say, hey, I've been working on something or I have this idea. And kind of having more of a conversation about it than just purely looking at the CV for the CV's sake. Of course, that experience is still important a lot of the time. It depends what area you're trying to get into. But I do think that if I think about who, you know, we interact with and hire and our kind of talent pipeline, et cetera, I can think of so many people who we know of already, we have a relationship with. They don't necessarily work for us. We don't know them that well, but they're out there and they might be having, you know, they might have a completely different job. They might work in Starbucks, but they are doing something and creating something uh, which means something to them. And I think when you attach that value and you can see that it means something to them and it's important to them, you start attaching value to that individual and and think, okay, there might be something here um, in the future. Uh, It might be soon or it might be further enough in the distance. So I've always encouraged people to talk about what they're doing and say, you know, this is who I am and show us who you are. Um, And that I think is a great way to get noticed. And of course, within our social media world you can sort of showcase that in so many ways and by the way that doesn't need to mean that you need to be an influencer or you need 10,000 or even 1,000 or even 100 followers it's people that I interact with that have 20 followers but what they're doing and what they're creating is of a huge amount of value because it means something to them so just think about that as something more important than than just eyeballs and kind of views if you like even if you're making videos on youtube or whatever it might be or creating um writing for blogs you don't need to have loads of people reading your reading your blog it's more important about the value of it um so i think i always talk about kind of that being a great way to to find your way into the media world um and then i think the other thing is thinking about how you can connect with people um, now much more easily because we have this sort of like uh, mm-hmm. more accessibility to individuals um, through digital platforming and trying to connect with people um, who are potentially in the organization. Like one thing that I've often noticed is how people will reach out often to like the editor in chief of a magazine like 
GQ or Vogue, right? But I'm always like, at those organizations, there's some amazing people who are executives and assistants. And actually, you can connect with them and you can start asking them, what's it like to work somewhere? How did you get in? And they often are a great source of information and inspiration and kind of uh, development themselves than just always kind of like going to the people that are at the, the leadership positions. Because although that sounds exciting, um, often those people find it the most difficult to sort of get back. So uh, again, like we've had some great people join our company who um, have started reaching out to people who work at Gay Times in lots of different roles. So I think, think about who works at organizations, not always um, the people that you might know or recognize at the top, but you know, anyone in the organization that you can kind of connect with. Yeah, like I feel like for me, like, I was one of the ones that, like, I had a blog where I would write about, right. like, TV or stuff. And then when I wanted to get internships or get insight, I would always look up, like, a lot of people on their Twitter would be, like, such and such, social media coordinator or editorial coordinator intern. And I would always, like, email, DM them. And like you said, like, they would most likely get back to you and be like, hey, like, here's the link like we usually would do whatever x y and z or they would offer it be like hey like i have a quick minute like i'd love to talk to you about what it is like working at x y and z publication or x y and z media company so i always tell people i'm like like you said like you don't always have to email the editor-in-chief or the producer you the coordinators and are just as valuable as them so like don't get caught up in like I don't want to talk to her. She's only a PA. Oh, no. She's like, like, those are the people running the shit, right? Like, I totally agree. We're just in New York. And one of the best examples of that is um, a really well-known activist um, who's got a huge following um, that I was having breakfast with. And I was saying, you know, remind me how we have a relationship with you. Where did it begin? Because I'm always interested to know. And they said, well... I basically, a long time ago, spoke to a junior designer at Gay Times. And that's how this relationship started. And I was like, that's brilliant. Because you sort of had a relationship and an organic um, uh, development of a relationship with someone who works in the organization. It wasn't this sort of like lofty idea of the devil wears Prada, where someone looks like, you know, meeting the editor-in-chief <laughs> in the office and a super high stakes and tension. Like, that's great in a movie, but that isn't how it often works in a day-to-day reality. So I'm glad that you had that experience. And as I said, so many people that I know who have gone on to huge things, amazing things, but we've all started somewhere, started off in that in very different environment. Yeah, like, I always tell people, I'm like, you're not always going to, you're not going to start up, like, as the whatever. Like, everybody has to work their way up. And I feel like, working your way up from whatever also helps you understand that role better. And it yeah. also helps you. It just, I was to be like, and like, you can't skip steps. Like you kind of need it. Like you can't skip to the like cake being fully made unless you go to the bakery, but it's like, you need to know like, Hey, this, I need three eggs. I need two, whatever. So you know that when you like, this is how it should be done. So whenever you're trying to give insight or give help, you know how it's supposed to work and how it all comes together. So you can give advice and like what helps and what doesn't versus just like if you skipped it, you wouldn't had not know where the organization works at all. It's like everybody's role is so vital and so important. So it's like, no, you you need to know how to do this. Like it makes it's gonna make sense to you in the long run. Maybe not now, but like you need to you need to learn how to be here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but Tag, thank you so much for being here and giving us all these gems and great advice and great chat. Thank you. I know, honestly, thank you for having me. 
Um, and it, as I said, like at the beginning, it's really humbling to be included within the Ari Young Influentials period. So thank you for that. And um, hopefully it kind of goes some way to um, reflecting and inspiring, you know, the next generation of LGBTQ people as they come through the world of work and advertising and media, just like I did. So um, thanks for having me and great to chat today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Wow, how great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.